right, how are y'all doing? Did y'all have a good weekend? There's lots of people. Can you hear me? Huh? We got rain. They prayed for rain on Wednesday, and man, you got some rain. Some of you. Some of you didn't. The church did not get as much rain. Well, we're starting a new series. I've been waiting for several weeks to get into the book of Galatians, which means it's been pent-up energy that I've been like, I really need to be in Galatians. Um, so we are going to talk about Galatians, and I need you to pay attention to the tone of Paul. Now, I'm going to say this later, but you're going to see a very agitated Paul. And I would like to say to us, we should be agitated too when it comes to things that are not correct in regards to the gospel. And so you're going to see this anger because people are coming and teaching something different than him as the apostle delivered, and you don't see, you don't see Paul sitting and saying, this is okay. Paul is angry, he's mad, he's saying, how have you deserted God in the gospel that was brought to you? And it's not a small matter. And I think in our culture, we almost as Christians tolerate things too much in regards to false teaching. And so today I want to spend a little time talking about Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I want to do a little bit of historical things of understanding the audience, who Paul is, a little bit of other things. But I'm going to be straightforward. From the get-go, I'm going to start talking about counterfeit gospels and cults. Because a lot of us don't recognize the difference between what a cult is and, and some things that are counterfeit gospels. The right term is counterfeit gospel. Gospel plus anything else is not the gospel. Amen? And we need to teach that. We need to understand that. We don't have to be rude about it, aggressive about it. But we certainly need to know the difference between the gospel and something that is not the gospel. Amen? So let's read Galatians, if you want to turn with me to chapter 1 of Galatians. Uh, we'll be just reading the first nine verses. And again, please pay attention to the tone of Paul. It's a unique letter where Paul has anger from the get-go. It doesn't take him long to show how he feels. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you are able or capable... Let's go ahead and get back into standing and honoring God's word. So it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Paul is an apostle because of what? Because Jesus Christ called him to be an apostle. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. His tone changes. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What's the issue? They're deserting the gospel that Paul, that Paul taught them. Not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. He says, not that there is another one, but, that, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel, which is an amazing, because one of the cults we're going to talk about today, says an angel appeared to them and brought them something different. He says this in Galatians. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, now, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Amen? Let's sit down and we'll take in the rest of this. Notice his tone. For a contrary gospel, he says, if anyone is preaching something that is contrary to the gospel, is he saying, don't be friends with them. Don't be nice to them. Don't do lunch with them. He says, let them be accursed. Amen? I mean, that, that is forceful, strong language, and Paul is absolutely saying it is to be absolutely accursed. There is to be nothing else but the pure gospel that we hold to. So, as we get through Galatians, I want to highlight that this is a unique, and he's teaching the authentic gospel. So Galatians, to me, is all about the authentic gospel. Galatians is about not only that, but the gospel is not just for non-believers. And we certainly don't need to just move on to more advanced material. Sometimes we want more advanced material, but many of us don't even know the gospel. We don't even know what it means. We don't even know that there's people who, 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 who are part of some other denominations or certain things that they don't believe the gospel. Anytime someone talks about, I might be saved, I hope I go to heaven, I hope I make it, they are trusting in themselves to be saved, and that's not the gospel. We just sat up here and sang a song about the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, if you believe in works and anything but the gospel saved you, then you spit on the cross and his blood is not enough for you. Amen? You spit on what he did, and the whole point of him dying was so that you could be washed purely white through his blood. Or why did he die? If you've got to earn your salvation, then he should have never died. We should have just tried to get more perfect about living out the law. The whole Old Testament's point is you can't do it. No matter what God did, they couldn't do it. So what did God have to do? He had to sacrifice himself on the cross. And all the atonement from the beginning, all the way back to Exodus, was all pointing to one day Jesus Christ would die on the cross. The blood of the lamb that kept the kids safe. What was it all about? One day his blood would cover our sins. Amen? So this is not small matter stuff. And I need to be able to call out some things. And I don't want you to take it personal. It's not me trying to make anything personal. It's just this is how Paul approaches false teaching. This is how he approaches false gospels. If we cannot get the gospel right, people are not going to be saved. They're going to be putting their faith and trust in themselves, and that's not the gospel. Amen? So, we don't need to just move to advanced material. We need to get the gospel and the authentic gospel correct. It is not only the way to enter the kingdom. It is the way to live as part of the kingdom. And we need to understand that fundamentally. The gospel is the way we transform churches, and it's the way we transform communities. The gospel is essential in these things. So who is Paul's audience? And you have my notes all in front of you. I'm handed you two full pages of information. Who, who, who is Paul's audience? He is speaking to young Christians whose spiritual problem is not only caused by failing to live in obedience to God, but also by relying on obedience and to him. So that is the challenge. And this is why I'm very passionate about gospel plus works is no longer the gospel. And many denominations, and listen, I want to be honest. I've said it from this pulpit many times. I don't consider myself Baptist. I consider myself a Christian. I consider myself one who believes the Bible. 
I consider myself a person that when I read the Bible, that's what it says, that's what I believe. And, and so we can get caught in these denominations. I don't even consider myself a Baptist, but I'm in Baptist churches because I get to preach the word as it's written. That's why I've always been in Baptist churches. That's why I went to Baptist seminary, because I believe in the word of God. And if it's not here, I don't want to teach it. I don't want some man tradition plus Bible. I don't respect that. I respect the Bible. That's what I believe. I believe the apostles came, they wrote the letters, and there's no more apostles coming. Unlike what cults say, there are no more apostles coming. God's word is finished. Read Revelations, read the last verses of Scripture. There's nothing to be added to this. It's over. This is God's complete word. What are we waiting on? The second coming. That's what we're waiting on. Or death and going to heaven. That's it. So, that being said, Paul is going to passionately proclaim that all they need and all they will ever need is the gospel. And please hear me. The gospel of God's unmerited favor to them through Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. Unmerited favor. We don't need anything else. Nothing separates us from God other than when you are forgiven and you've accepted the gospel and Jesus Christ has sent his Holy Spirit into you, you are good for life. You did not deserve, you did not earn anything. Either God accepted and you became a believer or you didn't. Or maybe like 1 John that we've already read together. Some of them went out from them because they were never of them. Amen? But if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You did not do anything to earn that. God allowed for you to be born again and made you a son and daughter of God. And there's nothing you can do, nothing you have done, nothing you will do that makes you a child of God or not. Jesus got on that cross and he covers you with his blood. Amen? That's the gospel in many ways. So it's not about being better Christians. It's about living out the implications of the gospel. The gospel transforms our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything. That's what the gospel is about. So before I get going with Paul, I do want to stop, and this is not in your notes, and talk a little bit about counterfeit gospels and some cults. So, what is a counterfeit gospel? A counterfeit gospel is a fraudulent imitation of the gospel that deceives. It deceives. It presents itself as the gospel, but it's not. It's deceptive. It's not what Paul taught. It's something different. And that's what Galatians 1, 6-9 is all about. I'm astonished, he says, that you're deserting him who called you in grace of Christ, turning to a different gospel. And at the end, he says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Even if an angel comes to you, let him be accursed. Amen? I mean, that's strong language. And that's what a counterfeit gospel is. It deceives. It's an imitation, but it's not the true gospel. So let us be clear. It is not an unloving or uncaring to identify false teaching, especially when one teaches something contrary to the one gospel. It is not unloving. It's not mean. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. Okay? And it's, that's a reality. So let's start off with cults, a couple of them. Mormonism. Mormonism was founded in 1830 by the teachings of Joseph Smith. This comes from their own website. Many Mormons say they're Christians. 
Let me tell you why they are not Christians. And I'm not going to go a deep dive into all of these. I just want to make a blanket statement because I need to get back to Galatians. But I want to point this out to you. Mormonism teaches that the gospel of Jesus Christ was lost from the earth through the apostasy that took place following the earthly ministry of Christ's apostles. That apostasy made necessary the, re- the restoration of the gospel. Through visions, the ministering of angels, and revelations to men of the earth, God restored the gospel. The restoration started with the prophet Joseph Smith and has continued to the present through the work of the Lord's living prophets. That's on their own website, lds.org. They're not Christians. They believe that Joseph Smith was the prophet that came to restore, restore the truth. They, they believe that now there's prophets living today that can come, and, they, and they've changed their documents so many times. Okay? Folks, we've got to get it through our head. Again, it's not unloving. It's not uncaring to point out they do not believe what we believe. Their word does not teach what our word teaches. It's aversion. They hijack some of the Bible and some of the principles, but then they change it. And it, they don't believe what we believe. So I'm, I need to just say that, and I don't want to go, again, I don't, this isn't about Mormonism all day. It's not going to be about Jehovah's Witness all day. But I need to just plainly say it. Based on what they say, they're not Christians. They don't believe what we believe. You either believe the apostles wrote the word, and Paul had that authority by Jesus Christ, which is exactly what he says in Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through what? Jesus Christ. Acts 9, God called Jesus, uh, Paul to go and be an apostle. Not man. And the apostles died. And when they died, that's it. There are people right now that say they're apostles. They're not. They're not biblical apostles. Okay? That, by their own explanation on their own website, Mormons are not Christians. Secondly, Jehovah Witnesses. was founded by Charles Taze Russell in 1872, and it just changes year after year, and it gets confusing. Again, their own words from jw.org. We follow the teaching and example of Jesus Christ and honor him as our Savior and as the Son of God. Thus, we are Christians. However, we have learned from the Bible that Jesus is not Almighty God and that there is no scriptural basis for the Trinity doctrine. And then here's another thing to say. Who is Jesus to, to the Jehovah Witnesses? He's created as the uh, um, archangel Michael before the world existed, a man of lesser God. They say the first human that God created, Adam, is called a son of God. Similarly, the Bible teaches that Jesus was created by God. So Jesus is also called a son of God. JW.org. They teach that Jesus' resurrection was spiritual, not physical. And his second coming already occurred spiritually and invisibly in 1914. Jehovah Witnesses are not Christians. It's a cult. Amen? I'm not trying to be ugly. Again, I have a firm belief that it's not unloving, it's not uncaring to point out things that are just obvious. They don't believe Jesus is, is God. They believe he's a created version of God. They don't hold to him the same way we do. We, do, we believe Jesus Christ, according to John, Jesus was in the very beginning was part of every bit of creation. They believe Jesus was created. That is a fundamental different belief. That is not the same thing. And Jehovah Witness, more than Mormons, will tell you we're Christians. But they're not. And they will tell you, if you don't follow their traditions, you're not a Christian either. But then they say they're Christians, and we're not. It's it's a confusing, confounding thing. But based on what they say they believe, they are biblically not Christians. They don't believe what we believe. They don't even believe Jesus is God, that way way we believe in him. They believe the second coming already came. 
1914. They, they believe, just like man became a son of God, Jesus is, in some form, a son of God. That's not what we believe. We believe he's the Alpha Omega. We believe in the beginning and the end. We believe that everything that came into existence came through Jesus. He was part of creation. We believe he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. That, that's what we believe. That's not what they believe. So, categorically, these are two cults. And I'm just trying to pick out popular ones because... You all know them. You've heard of the names. And we could go down a line. There's so many other. One more. One more. Now, this is the one that will get me in trouble, but I don't really care. I'm just teaching the truth. Okay? Again, right here, I am not saying this group is not Christians. That's for God to determine. He's on the throne. I'm trying to point out a counterfeit gospel. It is not unloving to call something a counterfeit gospel when it is a counterfeit of God's apostle Paul's gospel. That's exactly what he's doing in Galatians. Nothing I'm saying today is different than Galatians and what Paul says. So, let's go there. Catholicism and denominations that teach works plus. Works plus is not the gospel. Now, you all heard me just say that a while ago, and everyone's like, amen, that's true. And then all of a sudden I said Catholicism, and everyone's like, oh! But it's true. It's either the gospel or works plus is not the gospel. So I'm calling that a counterfeit gospel. It is not what Paul taught. It is not what we believe as Christians. It's not what we believe in terms of if you come with me and we talk about Jesus Christ and where you are in faith, I'm not going to tell you here's the seven things you need to do and do the rest of your life and maybe you'll make it into heaven. That's not the conversation we have. The conversation is, do you believe in Jesus Christ and the gospel and that he died for your sins and that he rose again and one day he's coming again? Do you believe in him? Will you make him your Lord and Savior of your life right now? Because I can tell you right now, if you give your life to him, I can assuredly say you are saved. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are saved. Not maybe, not might, not going to lose it. No, you're saved. He already died on the cross and he's not dying on the cross again. He's not doing it again. It either worked or it didn't. He's either God or he isn't. So I say that to you. They hold to sacraments. Grace is infused in the very act of sacraments, not by faith. Baptism, confessional, Eucharist, confession, anointing of sick, holy orders. Think Jesus' priesthood in their minds, the priests that are here. Matrimony. For example, in Catholicism, baptism is an act through which the new birth occurs in the life of an infant. We do not believe that. We don't believe that you have to be born. That's why they rush their kids to be baptized, because the new birth happens at baptism. That's not what it says in John 3. That's not what the Bible teaches. But that's what they believe. That is not a biblical teaching. It is passed down from tradition from man. Well, what does Paul say here? Paul, an apostle, not from man. Not through man, but through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Not from man. I don't need to hold to tradition of man. I need to hold to the Bible that the apostles wrote. That's what I hold to. That's what I believe. Man, tradition has been passed on, and guess what? The Pope can change stuff right now. He could say homosexuality is no longer a sin. Boom, done. But we don't hold to that. The Bible's written, and the apostles wrote the Word of God. My job is to interpret, share with what God's Word says, passionately proclaim it. That's it not to rewrite it, not to change it. I have no authority to touch God's word. I can preach it, and if I don't preach it right or I start preaching false things, they're going to throw me out the door because the expectation is that I preach the word and the truth of God's word, not change it, not manipulate it. So confirmation, it says this in, in their own books. It must be explained 
to the faithful that the reception of the sacrament of confirmation is necessary or the completion of baptismal grace. For by the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church and are enriched with the special strength of the Holy Spirit. Hence, they are, as true witnesses of Christ, more strictly obligated to uh, spread and defend the faith by word and deed. Did you hear that the Holy Spirit's not at a moment when the Holy Spirit comes into you because you've accepted Jesus? No, no, no. It's through these acts of sacrament. It's through these acts of baptism. It's through these acts of things you do, the Holy Spirit infuses in you. And listen, they don't hold, nor do Methodists. They don't hold to the the Holy Spirit's with you one time only. At any moment, you could lose your salvation. That's what they believe. And you know why Methodists believe that? Because they so rejected Calvinism that he changed his whole belief on grace because of Calvinism. That's actually why Methodists, that's how they birthed out. And right now, what the Methodist Church believed is not what John Calvin believed. Or sorry, uh, uh, Wesley. So, What is the massive difference? Guys, it boils down to this in regards to Catholicism. Justification. For for Catholicism, sinners are justified by God through faith in Christ and through their own works. Faith and works both lead to justification. Future justification is possible, but not guaranteed because there is no certainty of faith. One works through one's own power, work to earn God's favor, and working to seal God's glory ultimately. Working to steal God's glory. Why do I say that? I say that because the whole point of grace and unmerited favor is we don't boast in what we've done. We boast in what he did and what he's done. And for all eternity, if you read the Bible and pay attention, when we go to heaven, it's going to be God screaming, look what I've done. Look at my mercy. Look at my forgiveness. Look at my sons and daughters. That Even though they were unrighteous and sinners, I forgave them like he didn't do the angels but God did with man. Amen? And that is what's going to happen in heaven. We are the shining example of God's mercy and grace. And if you add works, you're stealing God's glory because you want to say, I did it. I get it good enough. Well, the Bible teaches you can't ever be good enough. One sin keeps you out of heaven. You're either forgiven or you're not. You're either a son and daughter of God or you're not. Either the Holy Spirit resides in you or he doesn't. You're either saved or you're not, but you're not earning it. So folks, I I need to distinguish that, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this sermon series talking about that was my one time to really address it from the get-go, because the tone of Paul is, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Not in the grace of Christ plus sacraments plus baptism plus communion plus you need to make sure you go to a class and get confirmed. That's not what he says. That's not biblical. But by faith you have been saved. Amen? Who says that? Paul. By faith you have been saved. And think about who said this. Paul. What was he doing? He was on his way marching to murder more Christians. And what happened to him? Boom. God blinds him and says, Paul, you will serve me. And he says, and you will suffer for my name's sake. Well, when was Paul saved? What class? How long did it take for Paul to get saved? That very moment he encountered God. And that very moment, his life changed forever. And God called him to be an apostle. Amen? He didn't have to go get a bunch of the other apostles to lay hands on him to say, yes, we do believe you've gotten saved, and now let's go do some classes. No. 
He encountered God right then and there, and he, he was forced to give his life to God. And he was going to serve God. And that was it. That's the end of the story. The rest of his life, he served God till his death. Amen? So just read the Bible. Believe the Bible. And man's tradition is not something that should be on par with the Bible. The Bible teaches how to be saved. teaches us who we're supposed to be. Amen? Okay. So tell me about Paul. Who is he? There's always times that there's people in here who don't know as much as others. Or they're maybe brand new to faith. He was a church-planning missionary. He is, as I've said several times, an apostle. What's an apostle? An apostle is a man that God chose and has empowered them to go and teach with authority that I don't have. I'm a pastor. I preach the word of God. God, in some ways, has given me authority to lead a church. But I'm not authoritative. I study the same Bible as you, and God's word is our, is our authority. The apostle wrote God's word. God told him what he's supposed to say and what he's supposed to communicate. And that's an apostle. And when they died, that was it. No more apostles. And so it's unique to the New Testament, these apostles. They're very similar to prophets in the Old Testament who also wrote books and had the authority to write scripture on behalf of God. So they're very similar. Uh, he would... Uh, he would con continue to minister and supervise these congregations through his letters. So he was a church-planning missionary, but he would also go back to these churches. He would also send people to those churches, and he would also send books, just like we're reading the Galatians, where he hears about stuff going on, and he's like, hey, you're off, you're off base. You're, you're following the wrong things. And he not only planted the church, he continued to minister to the church, and he even wrote to them. Sometimes he wrote to them even when he was in prison. And that was his concern and his love for the churches he brought the gospel to. Amen? And finally, uh, Galatians is written probably around AD 50. And so let's take a little bit of time to read about Paul's call. I won't read Acts 9 because he covers it in chapter 26. But let's just read these three things. One, we see about his call. Secondly, we see Paul's ambition. And thirdly, we see the gospel itself. Paul writes and says, this is the gospel that I delivered to you. So let's take a look at all three. These are in your notes. Acts 26. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed, journeyed with me. And when, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose and, anointed, and appointed you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will, appear, I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So his focus, even though he so badly wanted to go minister to Jews, God said, you're going to Gentiles. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Amen? Y'all need to say that with me. By faith in me. Amen? That's what his call was. Was it to go to Gentiles? No, we're going to get into this in Galatians. Is it to go to Gentiles and make them Jews? No. It's to bring the gospel 
to the, to the Gentiles, whom all along in Act, sorry, all, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, God said, all nations, all people, he had a plan for. Well, what was his plan? It was Jesus Christ. And now you see Paul's ministry to all nations, all people. They are now being brought into the family of God, and the gospel is how they are coming to Christ. He's not called them to be Gentiles, or sorry, Jews. He's not called them to carry on with every ritual. He's asked them to accept Jesus Christ through forgiveness of sins. Amen? And that was the problem in Galatians. These Gentiles are coming, these Judaizers, and they're trying to make the Gentiles conform. And here you get, you get a fight among the, the mega powers. In Galatians, Peter and Paul are going to fight. And Paul's going to be like, that is not what we're called to do. And you can tell that, you know, uh, Peter was just being influenced by the Jews, and he had pressure like we all sometimes feel. And he was wanting to sit with the Jews and impress the Jews. And, and Paul's like, that is not what we're supposed to be doing. And this is the church that Paul planted, not Peter. And it was for the gospel. So I, I point that out to you. Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 21. Here we see Paul's ambition. And Christ Jesus, then I have reason so to be proud of my work for Christ, for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And that from Jerusalem and all the way down to uh, whatever that is, I can't say it right. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have, uh, have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand what's his ambition. I'm bringing the gospel to people that have never heard about Jesus and are far, according to what he says in Acts, were as dark as can be, and he came to bring them light. They were, they were controlled by Satan, and he's come to bring them to know God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that they had no hope of receiving apart from some missionary going and planting the gospel to them. And that's what his ambition was. Paul's ambition was to go to the ends of the world and share the gospel. Amen? So you see his ambition there. And now we see 1 Corinthians, this is very important for Galatians, chapter 15, 1 through 5. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to Peter, Peter to the twelve, and over five hundred in one setting, and then even to Paul. Amen? That's the gospel. Folks, we don't need to complicate the gospel. It's, it's so confounding to me how prideful we are that we can't just accept grace. What is this man-made religion? What is this works plus? What ultimately is it? It's because we can't just accept that God forgave us. We have to save ourselves in our minds. Well, what if you can't? And there's no way unless you bow your knee and say, God, thank you. I accept your grace and your mercy. It's the only thing that will have me see you in eternity for eternity. It's not something I can do. I can't will myself into heaven. I have to accept what you did on that cross and humbly just say, I am a sinner in need of salvation. Amen? Why can't we just accept the beautiful, unmerited favor of God through his mercy and his grace that he offers you? Why do we need anything else? And that's what I'm saying to you. 
which is why you see Paul so astonished and angry, because we have this need in us to try to control our destiny and to be over it. And the gospel says, you can't save yourself. I've saved you. I've made the way. And we have to humbly just say, yes, God, I accept your grace. Amen? If you have not accepted God's grace, today is a great day to not put your faith in your life, in your works, and trying to live it right. God has made a way through his cross and what he's already done. He doesn't need to do it again. He already did it. For you, wherever you've come into this place, from your past, your present, and whatever you're going to do in the future, you have an opportunity for God to save you, to be purely and righteous, knowing for the rest of my days, I don't have to fear death. I can mock death just as Paul does, knowing that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And that is found in the gospel. You don't earn it. He just offers it. And we accept it, and he changes our life. And every act of righteousness from that point on, every time we worship him, it's an act of worship. It's saying, thank you, God, of course I'm going to celebrate you and, and sing to you and live my life for you because of what you've done. You've forgiven me, and you've filled me with your Holy Spirit. And it's not hard for me to follow my Father. Amen? That's not works. That's called worship. Worship. How dare we cheapen the gospel by thinking every day of our life, I have to live perfect so I can somehow save myself, knowing I don't know if I'm going to even make it to heaven. The whole thing becomes about you, and you're trying to be righteous versus the actual gospel, which is just accept my grace. Accept that I've forgiven you right where you are. When you were an enemy of mine, I provided an opportunity for you to be made a son and daughter of God. Just accept his grace. Amen? For some, it is hard to do, but I encourage us to do this. Three important historical things that are going to go on in this letter, and we'll see it as we get there. This letter addresses a social and racial division in the church of Galatia. Gentiles coming in to establish Jewish Christian churches and areas were uh, trying to add works to the genuine gospel. That's what Galatians is all about. These religious people trying to come in and add works. And Paul says he's not having none of it. It's, it's, it's not good. He says Christ plus anything else required for full acceptance by God is a false gospel, different gospel than what Paul had taught them. To accept this false gospel is to lose Christ himself. He says it in Galatians 1.6, deserting, turning to a different gospel. That is a very serious thing, and I'm just trying to spend my day trying to say, I hope you care, like I do, like Paul does, about the genuine gospel. Christ plus anything, he says in Galatians, is deserting and turning to a different gospel, which will not save. Amen? There is one gospel, and we need to believe that and teach that. This letter is for all professing Christians. At all times, we need to be learning, reminding ourselves of the gospel and applying it to our lives. Sometimes we think of the gospel as the ABCs, get saved at BBS, and that's it. Now you know it. That's not it. Every day, you have to remind yourself of the gospel. Every day, it should be the lifeline of, of living your life. When Satan tells you you're not worthy, you're not good, or you mess up again, you make a mistake, someone tells you you're not saved, what do you have to remind yourself of? The gospel. I never saved myself anyways. It's what he did in my life. It's what he offered me. And I know the Holy Spirit's in my life. Y'all know I always point to the Holy Spirit. 
Folks, you have to remind yourself of the gospel every day. You don't let doubt, you don't let things in this life, mistakes you made, keep you from knowing who you are. You're either son and daughter of God or you're not. And if you are, it's because you accepted that same gospel as me and you gave your life to him. The Holy Spirit stirred in your life and moved in your heart. And you're not different. You're not the same anymore. You can't be. Amen? So I say that to you. What has made Paul so emotional? Well, I already kind of said this. Desertion. Paul's astonished because these young Christians are taking hold of a gospel that isn't really a gospel. So they are in enormous danger. They're in, they are in confusion is what we see in verse 7b. He is directly angry at the ones who are misleading the converts of the church, those who are trying to pervert the gospel we see in 7b. He calls down condemnation on them twice in verses 1 through 9. Finally, he is also angry at the Galatian Christians themselves, warning them that they are deserting the God who called them. Please hear me. He says, I'm astonished that you are quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. See, why we hold to the gospel, we don't put up with anybody that's trying to say gospel plus anything else, is it's deserting the God who called you in grace. That's what he calls it. Amen? So that's a, that's, a, that's a charge. It's a serious charge. And that's why he's angry at the Galatians. That's why his tone is the way it is. It's like how, and, and, and think about it. The, the gospel's amazing. Grace is amazing. Why would we desert that for man-made religion? Like, it doesn't even make sense. One is a free gift for eternal life. One is thinking for the rest of my life, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to heaven. Why would you pick this when you, you know what the truth is this? That doesn't even make sense. And that's why when I say sometimes I'm not Baptist, it's because I read the Bible, and then I, my, my sister was Catholic, and I kind of had some friends that were Methodist, and I saw other traditions, and I just kept reading the Bible. I was like, that's not what the Bible says. And I could, I could see how sometimes I'd hear these guys preaching from a different denomination, and they would read what I'm reading, and then all of a sudden they would start talking man talk to change what I just read. And they would start talking, and, I'm like, and it didn't take me long to be like, oh, you have Bible, and you have this other tradition stuff that seems to trump what the Bible just says. And it actually, it, it actually contradicts each other. Like, this doesn't even make sense. Why? But that's what's happening. There's many people that are your friends that are in some denominations. And they may not know what they believe, but they may know what they believe. And I'm telling you, you can't read Galatians and then hold to works. It, like, the whole book is about people trying to bring works into the gospel. How, how can you, that's a contradictory thing. Either grace or works. It can't be both. Amen? So some of your friends are caught up in that. So background behind the anger. There's a group of teachers who were called the Gentile Christian converts. That they were obligated to keep the Jewish cultural customs of the Mosaic law, the dietary law, circumcision, and the rest of the ceremonial law in order to please God. And that's what Jesus, that's what Paul's against. And Paul says, that's an absolute repudiation of all that I have been telling you. And he says, if the Galatians are really turning their backs on God and taking hold of a gospel that isn't a gospel at all, then their condition is dangerous. And so you see the anxiety and the anger of Paul. And so I hope you all catch that, verses 1 through 9. And I'm almost done. So let's end with where I should end. What is the gospel? So Paul the divinely appointed apostle reminds the Galatian Christians of his particular divine message, the gospel. In his opening, he gives them a quick yet pretty comprehensive outline of the gospel 
message. We find it in this text. Who are we? Folks, we are helpless and lost. You are helpless and lost apart from Christ. And if you hold on to works, you are still helpless and lost. That is what the word deliverer or rescue implies in verse 4. Jesus not only, uh, Jesus not, is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer. To be rescued is what we need most. Nothing about who we are or what we do saves us. This is what theologians call spiritual inability. We have no ability to save ourselves. None. Helpless. Lost. And we see that in verse 4. What did Jesus do? Jesus rescues us by giving himself for our sins. You see that in verse 4. He makes a sacrifice which was a substitutionary in nature. This is what the gospel is. Why the gospel is so revolutionary. We deserve to die on that cross for our sins. But Jesus died on that cross in his perfect life. It's when I do the bread and the, and the wine, when we're having communion, folks, yes, the blood, you know, the, you know, when we're drinking the juice, yeah, that's meaningful because he died on the cross. But when I'm eating that bread and I'm thinking every single day he never sinned, and for him to die on that cross and to be my atonement, he could never sin. There's not a day I haven't sinned. And I don't even know how sinful I am. Amen? Every day, never sinned, which is the only way he could have died on that cross. So God dies on that cross, and he substitutes what should have been us, but he gives us his righteousness, his perfection, and he takes it on the cross, and he pays our penalty, what, what we should have deserved. That's what the Scripture teaches. This is why the gospel is so revolutionary. Jesus did all we needed to do, but cannot do. Only his perfect sinless life could be the sacrifice acceptable to be the propitiation for our sin. Jesus did all we should have done in our place. So when he becomes our savior, we are absolutely free from penalty or condemnation. As Romans says, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. None. Amen? You may condemn yourself, but it's not through Christ. It's not through what he did on the cross. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. For what he's already done, if you are a son and daughter of God, there's nothing you can do that keeps you from heaven. Because either it was good enough or it wasn't. Amen? That's why we say your past, your current, and your future sins, God has forgiven you of all of it right where you are. Not get discipled and get right. No, no, no. Right where you are, when you're an enemy of God, he made a way for you. And there's an opportunity through discipleship to grow and learn how to better worship God. But when you get saved, you are lost, helpless, no hope. Not trying to teach you how to get confirmation for a couple classes to tell you whether you're saved or not. No, no, right there, hopeless, no help. Enemy of God, but then what happens? But God, we get confronted with grace and we accept him and make him Lord and Savior of our life. And you'll see it, you'll know, because your life will never be the same. Amen? So, final things as the band comes up. What did the Father, what, what the Father did? God accepted the word of Christ on our behalf by raising him from the dead, we see in verse 1. And by giving us the grace and peace, we see in verse 2, that Christ won and achieved for us. Why? This is all done out of grace, not because of anything we have done, but according to the will of God the Father. Verse 4d. We did not ask for rescue, but God in his grace planned what, what we didn't realize we needed. And Christ, by his grace, verse 6, came to achieve the rescue we could never have achieved ourselves. So final point, 
The biblical gospel, Paul's gospel, was clear that salvation from first to last is God doing. It is his calling, plan, action, work. Thus, according, uh, accordingly, God deserves all the glory for all time for such grace. Amen? Now, that is the gospel. And Paul is angry, and he says, why would you desert the gospel? Church, I say to you, why would you pick works? I know in our minds we feel like we don't deserve the gospel and we need to do this or this to prove to God. You, I know our minds go there. We wouldn't have all these denominations. We wouldn't have all these false teachers if our mind didn't somewhat go there. But what I'm asking you is just to accept and hold tight to the real thing, the beautiful gospel that says you have unmerited a mercy that God has given you and grace that's offered while you were an enemy. He offers it. Why would we accept, why would we want something else than what the Apostle Paul experienced himself? He was on his way to murder Christians and God just saved him. Amen? Well, some of us, that may be part of your story. You were far from God, no hope, and then God just encountered you with the gospel. That's what happened to me. First time I heard the gospel in seventh grade, when I heard it and I walked into Sage, I was like, yes, I want this, I believe this. It was not hard for me. I understood I was a sinner, and I needed grace. And I encountered the gospel, and I accepted it. And I've never looked back. I believed it. And I was discipled right. I never was told, do this, do this to get saved. It was all based on that grace. And thank God for good teachers in my life. Because how hopeless would it be to be a person who's sitting in a pew right now, right down the road, and has been in church for 50 years and doesn't know whether they're going to heaven or not. That's a joke, because the Bible is very clear. But God, by grace, you have been saved. Amen? Don't worry about man's religion. Study the Bible. Study the Apostle Paul's words, and you'll find what the gospel really is, and it will revolutionary and change your life, and you'll never be the same. Amen? I'll be down here willing to pray with anybody, if anybody would like to come. Thank you all for being here. We're going to be in Galatians for several weeks. Uh, and man, the gospel is beautiful, and please feel free to get excited and share that gospel with neighbors and friends because it's what's going to take people from hopeless to finding God just like happened to you. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we can hear your word and, and because the spirit is inside of us, we can say, yes, amen, this is true. God, I pray that we allow ourselves to be open to others that we are around and that we share this gospel that the, the people around us that are hopeless, that look at society and their world is crashing and tr just tumbling down and they don't know what to do, they feel helpless, I pray that we would be able to bring this gospel message to them, that they would know there is hope, there is a way, and God, that's found through you. We love you, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship and to study your word together. It's your name we pray, amen. Thank you all.